This is John Resig. You're listening to The Changelog. The Change Log episode 0.2.9. I'm Adam Stukowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. This is The Change Log. We cover what's fresh and new in the world of open source. If you found us on iTunes, we're also on the web at thechangelog.com. And we're also up on GitHub. Yep, head to github.com forward slash explore. You'll find some training repos, some feature repos from our blog, as well as the audio podcast. And if you're on Twitter, go to twitter.com forward slash change log show and hit the follow button. And also follow Adam Stack. And I'm Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. Fun interview this week with a guest host, Michael Smith from Australia. Mm-hmm. We sat down with Jeremy Ashkenaz from Document Cloud. You may remember from episode five. Yeah, episode five. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Talked about, uh, what did we talk about in that episode? <laughs> Underscore.js. You Oops. don't have the, the episodes memorized? Oh, my bad. I'm sorry. There's, what, 29 of them now? So There you go. Talking about CoffeeScript this time. So back to JavaScript. Uh, you know, we're big fans of Hamel and Sass, and those are preprocessors, right, HTML and, and CSS. CoffeeScript's kind of the same thing for JavaScript. It uh, allows you to write JavaScript in another way, provides some additional uh, syntax time savers and enhancements to, to output JavaScript to either use in the browser or the server side with something like maybe, a, I don't know, Node.js. Cool. Are you using this anywhere? I'm using it in Titanium personally, which we've talked about, I believe, uh, seven-ish, episode seven-ish or something. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you don't know the episodes when? I don't. I don't have them rememorized. So, uh, yeah, I'm using it to do some iPhone and iPad stuff lately. Very cool. Well, you're, you're a very out there kind of guy, always mixing a bunch of products into the mix of your work. So this is kind of fun. So is it fun to work with? It is. You know, I'm a mashup of design and development, and my projects are a mashup of every fun toy that I want to play with. Cool. And so Jeremy gives us a lot of good nuggets in this interview. He does. Um, some insight into the design of the language and kind of uh, the inspiration behind it and some of the uh, languages he, he ripped off from to, uh, to provide us this cool new syntax. Ripped off. All right, cool. So it's a good interview then, I suppose. Let's get to it. All right, man. We're joined this afternoon by Jeremy Ashkenaz from Document Cloud. I'm going to talk about CoffeeScript. Also, should mention we've got a guest host today, Michael Smith from Way Down Under. Say hello, Michael. Hi. So, Jeremy, why don't you introduce yourselves to the uh, introduce yourself rather to uh, the folks that maybe didn't catch sure, episode zero uh, five that was uh, Document Cloud and underscore JS. Right, so it's been, I guess it's been a little over six months since uh, I talked to you guys the first time um, about the stuff that we were doing with Document Cloud. But um, so basically, um, I'm working on this project that is to make an online um, repository of primary source documents that news organizations contribute and the, the journalists get to use to do their document based research. And when they're done writing their story, they put the documents online alongside the story for extra context. And so that's a large JavaScript application, and we're doing a ton of client-side JavaScript to, to, to show the entities that are present in the documents and to show the dates that are present on timeline. And, uh, and I've been using JavaScript heavily on the client side um, for a long time, and I'm very excited about, about what's going to happen when we can start using the same language on both the server side and the client side. And you know, not only is it going to be the same language, but it's also going to be a very nice language, and it's going to be a very fast language. And so... 
I've had this kind of idea kicking around in the back of my head for a long time um, about, you know, what would JavaScript look like if it could look like anything you wanted it to look like? You know, if, if it hadn't been basically stuck in a place where you had all the browsers trying to having to agree on what JavaScript would be in order to make any progress, if it had been a language that, that had evolved, what could it look like? So that's kind of what CopyScript was, and it was just a for fun sort of, and it still is, it's, it's, a, it's for fun. I'm not trying to sell it or to build a business out of it or to persuade you to use it. It's a thought experiment about about uh, what JavaScript could look like, potentially. And so, yeah, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Let's talk about what it looks like. So what is the syntax influence of CoffeeScript? There's, there's actually been a whole bunch. It's been kind of fun. So my, my own background is mostly doing Ruby and JavaScript stuff with a little bit of Java. And, uh, but CoffeeScript, I guess people think that it looks a lot more like Python than it does like Ruby these days. So it's got, um, it's got basically simple, the regular simple scripting language syntax that you're used to, um, but it uses significant white space to limit blocks. So if you have a function or you have a class or you have an array or a switch statement or an if-else, you use um, white space and indentation to delimit the start and the end of that. And of course, you can wrap it in parentheses if it's not totally clear what you're up to. And um, But we, there's also been a, a strong um, bunch of contributions from the functional programming community and from Haskell in particular. So there's been a whole bunch of Haskellers who have come on and have added features and have contributed both syntax and implementation. So I'd, I'd say there's a big, big strain of that in there as well. Okay, so since it compiles down to JavaScript, is there anything that you support in uh, CoffeeScript that you don't actually support in JavaScript or things that you can't sort of get access to because, you can, because you're cross-compiling? Right. So, so th- an important thing to mention here is that is that uh, CoffeeScript is a very um, a very limited language. It's not like you have complete freedom. You're not working with C. You're not working with assembly. You can't do anything you want to. You can't implement new new constructs or new semantics um, very easily because it's a it's a source to source language. And not only is it source to source, but we're trying to keep the compiled JavaScript very clean and very readable. And in a perfect world, if we were doing, if we had everything worked out correctly, then, you know, the, the, the JavaScript that gets generated by the CoffeeScript compiler would be the code that you would have written anyway if you had done it by hand or something very close to that. So that's our goal. Um, and so because of that, there's a lot of things that we can't implement. A very simple one that has actually come up several times before has been um, indexing into an array. It would be great in JavaScript if you could index into an array with a negative number and, and get the um, value off the end. So instead of having to do array, array.length minus one to get the last element. You could just say array negative one and get back the final one. But that's something that we could support naively in, in CoffeeScript, you know, if you actually use a literal number, but because you could pass a variable in as the index or a function in, there's absolutely no way for us to reliably do negative array indexing um, without actually changing the runtime, which we can't do. So that's just a very simple example of, of a tiny, tiny feature that would take two seconds if we had access to the runtime, but we don't, so we can't implement it. Do you actually need to learn JavaScript to write CoffeeScript, or can you just learn CoffeeScript and forget about the JavaScript? Um, right. I mean, so that's 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 more of a documentation question, I think, than uh, than an actual code question. So you could you definitely could learn just the CoffeeScript semantics, which are slightly different than than JavaScript, and I can get into what those differences are in a second. Um, but right now, the documentation is basically a list of the ways in which it differs from JavaScript. You know, you're using the JavaScript runtime, JavaScript functions behave the same way, you know, numbers behave the same way, um, and basically all the semantics are JavaScript semantics. Um, so, so yeah, so right now it's basically, you know JavaScript, here's a cleaner way to write it, is the idea. 
You know, I'm a big fan. I'm using it in a couple of projects now. And when I explain it to, to folks that haven't seen it, the example that I give is it's, you know, it's Hamill is to HTML and SAS is to CSS, CoffeeScript is to JavaScript. Is that a fair statement? Um, I'm not sure, actually, how fair that is, because I think the interesting thing about that comparison, which, of course, has been what it's been since the beginning, um, is that, you know, with, with CSS and with HTML, you have basically static languages, and you're writing abbreviations that expand into larger formats. And I think with something like CoffeeScript, where you're actually compiling into a programming language, it goes a little bit beyond that, because you can actually start to change you know, the semantics of the code and change the way you would have written things. It's not just a one-to-one expansion. You can actually start to write things in in a little bit of a different way. Um, So to get into that a little bit, um, there's kind of, I think, three core um, aspects to CoffeeScript. There's the syntax changes. So at the the basic level, it's a cleaner, you know, you have to type less. You don't have to type as many parentheses. You don't have to type as many semicolons or brackets um, just to write what you would have written in JavaScript. At the second, the second aspect of it is that there's semantic cleanups. So the, the, the core thing there is that everything is an expression in CoffeeScript, and we try to make every function returns a meaningful value. Every if statement or switch or try catch is an expression that can be used as part of a larger computation. There's no difference, for the most part, between um, statements and expressions. So a lot of work has been done there, basically, um, as you sort of as you go... As the, as the nodes compile, as you have the compiler that's turning, you know, turning your code into tokens, into nodes, into JavaScript, to say if you're using the result of a particular statement, then that statement gets converted into an expression in JavaScript, and, uh, and so you can use it. So there's been a lot of effort there, and that's an example of a semantic cleanup. There's a couple other ones, um, like switch statements, which uh, don't work very well in JavaScript unless you're using strings to compare on work on any object in CoffeeScript because you compile them into if-else chains instead of switch statements. Um, and things like that where the statements don't actually work the same as they would in JavaScript. So that's the second aspect is semantic cleanups, and then the third aspect is bonus features. So, uh, you know, I, always, I thought it was really cute in the, in the last presidential campaign when, uh, when John McCain started talking about goodies in, uh, in, in legislation. So I think of the bonus features as the goodies that you get alongside with, uh, with CoffeeScript. And so things like that are, uh, are the array comprehension. So instead of having to write out your explicit for loop, you can do a comprehension over an array and get back the list of Values and so that takes care of mapping and filtering um, and uh, and reducing actually, and you also get um, range comprehensions and object comprehensions too. So things like that are bonus features, and the existential operator and splats and all these goodies we can we can talk about. So those are the three parts: the syntax, the semantic cleanups, and then the the goodies. Okay, so with these goodies, um, you're obviously adding on things like uh, different for loops and things like that. Are you following the ECMAScript 5 specifications when designing those, or do you follow some other sort of standard? Um, so in terms of, in terms of extra features, so there's, so there's ECMAScript 5, which we now have um, since this fall, um, and... All the code that, and we've been, yes, we've been influenced by ECMAScript um, 5, but even to a large extent, ECMAScript Harmony. So there's this great wiki um, with all the suggestions that were in ECMAScript 4 and didn't quite um, make it out, you know, when ECMAScript 5 came over and, and took and made it a much more minimal language than the next version of JavaScript was going to be. There's a lot of great suggestions for things that they wanted to do that aren't implemented yet in this ECMAScript Harmony wiki. And so we've taken a lot of things directly from there where we can and where we think that, that it makes sense. So um, the, I mean, for example, the syntax for, I'm not sure if this is on the wiki, but the syntax for splats for doing variadic arguments where you can have 
a couple um, positional arguments and then a splat that soaks up the rest of the arguments to a function. Or you could pass in a variable number of functions into a, sorry, a variable number of arguments into a function without having to use apply. Um, the syntax for that with the triple dots was suggested by Douglas Crockford. And, uh, and another piece of syntax that we took from ECMAScript 5 is the a string interpolation. Is you can look at the proposal they have on the wiki right now, and that's very similar to what was proposed for ECMAScript Harmony, where you can interpolate naked variables just using a dollar sign into a string, or you can use a dollar sign with brackets and have arbitrary expressions interpolated into a string. Um, so, yes. Going off the usage and the implementation of uh, splats in JavaScript or in CoffeeScript, um, now that you've got these extra language features, it's doing a lot of behind-the-scenes work to make them actually work in JavaScript. So one thing that I noticed when I first saw some CoffeeScript was actually that the developer sent me the compiled JavaScript when I was trying to help them out and try and figure out what their problem was with it. Now, of course, I couldn't actually read the JavaScript that I had compiled a fair bit because there were so many things that were being done behind the scenes and I couldn't say, change these couple of lines because he wasn't actually writing those few lines. Is cross-compiling from CoffeeScript to JavaScript adding a barrier in the uh, debugging process? Um, yes, so absolutely. Anytime you have a source-to-source translation, um, you're, there's going to be a barrier in the debugging process. And so the way it's worked out in practice is, you know, our, our tactic, instead of building a special, you know, CoffeeScript-only debugger, has been to make the generated JavaScript as readable as we possibly can and use whatever tricks we can to make it as readable as possible. Um, and so if you do, so example, if you do compile a CoffeeScript file to JavaScript, you load it in the browser, and you get an exception in the browser, it's going to give you the line number of the JavaScript and not the line number of the CoffeeScript. And that is the single biggest problem with figuring out and debugging right now. You have to keep your JavaScript um, files handy and go look up what's happening and then see where that occurs in the CoffeeScript and fix it. And I thought it was going to be a larger problem personally than it has been for me. I haven't had uh, too much trouble with uh, with tracing back and figuring out where things are, are going wrong. Um, but from a, from a beginner's perspective, if you're just getting started with it, it certainly would be more daunting. Um, so I think what you might have been referring to are our use of temporary variables. So we do have to put in some temporary variables to do things like convert a comprehension, um, a, a, a one-line array comprehension in CoffeeScript into the equivalent JavaScript. You have to use temporary variable for the, for the memoized array where you're caching all the result values before you turn the, the computed result of, of passing the function through the array. Um, so you'll get things like that, where you'll have a variable with a name, usually underscore A, underscore B, underscore C, a temporary variable that has no equivalent on the CoffeeScript side. Um, and so before you're familiar with what that is doing, then yeah, it wouldn't make any sense. With those temporary variables, would it make more sense to uh, assign them as a actual meaningful value? As a meaningful, than... as a meaningful name? Yeah, yeah. So rather than underscore A, actually have it so it's say underscore results uh, arguments length or something like that sure we could do that the problem is then you have name clashes with anything that's in external scope that might already be defined um, unless you happen to have a function wrapper around that and we don't necessarily know what's in external scope because um, because you could be including other scripts onto the page that could be having um, things at the global level so that that gets a little bit tricky. It might it might actually be um, a worthwhile change to start doing underscore meaningful name, and then if something's already declared that we can detect to, uh, you know, make it a double underscore or add a one after or something like that. 
um, because right now we do have a way of seeing in, in the particular file you're compiling, of seeing what's in scope, which is how CopyScript scoping is handled um, for you. You don't have to use bar to declare a keyword in CopyScript. So we could take advantage of that probably to do better with meaningful names for those variables. Getting back to the goodies for a moment, uh, two mm-hmm. that, that drew me in were your approach to classes inheritance and also for function binding. Could you talk about those two features for a moment? Sure. Um, so with classes, the idea is that um, th- this has actually been very controversial because people, you know, when you talk about classes in JavaScript, and of course, a lot of people who do significant work with with, uh, with prototypes and with inheritance in JavaScript, um, you know, will yell at you if you have something called a class. So there's a big argument about whether we should call it class or whether we should call it proto or, or something else, um, to which my answer has always been that if you look at any amount of JavaScript code that uses um, prototypes to do inheritance, um, then they always work in classical patterns, regardless of whether you call it a class or not. You always have a base object with a prototype, and you always make many new instances of it with different data. And so calling it, you can call it whatever you want, but I'd say call it, call it a class just because that's what it is. So um, what we're trying to do here is to make it easier to work with prototype chain because it's not very easy to correctly set up um, a prototype chain so that you can have more than one level of inheritance without it breaking and with having the instance of operator working correctly and being able to call super efficiently is one of the most difficult things. And so um, usually if you override a function, you want some way to reference the base implementation so that you can, so you can run that and then, and then subclass it, you know, and then do your specialized overrides on that function. And it's very, very difficult to, with regular prototypes to call super in JavaScript. You have to know the name of your parent and you have to go look at their method and you have to apply it on your current object. And so CoffeeScript's trying to make that easier for you. Um, so we use the, a variant of the um, Google Closure Libraries, um, I think it's called goog.inherits uh, function to do the subclassing. So it's about, let's see, it's about five lines of, uh, of JavaScript that actually makes the child class and then anytime you call super within a method inside of the subclass, it makes a direct reference to the parent class um, for you. So you don't have to write it out by hand and performs very well for that reason. So function binding is another problem that tends to be a brain bender for new uh, JavaScript developers. Right. So talking about function binding, we actually used to have more support for function binding in the language, but it was decided that instead of having kind of a cryptic operator for binding functions directly, we would make that more of a standard library thing. You know, because you should really be able... It Really, binding should be... Uh, and, and I guess um, maybe in some future version of ECMAScript it will be. But it should be a method on a function object. You should be able to call function.bind and pass in the context you want to bind it. Um, so what we have right now is basically the syntax for defining a function in CoffeeScript looks like this. You have your arguments, you have an arrow, and then you have your function body on the right-hand side. Um, and the function body can be many lines. It can be indented. So, um, so it's arguments goes to you know, computation. And it's a, it's a regular little sort of ASCII arrow as the, as the function syntax. But if you use a fat arrow with like the hash style arrow, if you're familiar with Ruby with the equal sign and the, and the arrow. A hash that, rocket as we would call it in Ruby. Exactly, hash rocket. There you go. If you use a hash rocket instead of a, instead of a skinny arrow, you get a function that's bound to the current object. So basically anytime you're doing something fancy with, uh, you know, with jQuery where you have an Ajax callback and you need to have your function stay bound to the current objects that you can reference, you know, everything else, um, you can use a fat arrow to make sure that it stays bound. And it works the same way in classes. If you have a method on a class, you know, you're going to pass that to a callback or pass that to something async. 
you can define that with a fat arrow, and that means you'll always stay bound to the instance of the of the class that you're creating. So you don't have to worry about creating a special wrapper function when you when you're ready to go do that callback. So that's a little convenience. What about uh, when ECMAScript 5's uh, bind is natively supported on functions? That's going to be a wonderful day. So there's been a lot of a lot of, um, of requests and and talk about you know adding things like headers and setters, which are starting to get better supported to the CoffeeScript syntax, and that would be fantastic. And you know if so, taking the function binding example, when the day comes that that bind is supported across all the browsers and you can rely on it, then we could switch our implementation to actually use bind, and you know all your code would still work across all browsers like it had before. And uh, and would now just work in a in a better way, and I think in general we would hope to do that with uh, with ECMAScript features that start being supported. So, Jeremy, you're using so, CoffeeScript on the client side or the server side? So, I've been using it for a couple little fun projects and for some art projects. I've been using it with Canvas um, a lot because that's been a ton of fun to take you know old processing sketches and to do them in uh, CoffeeScript and Canvas and do things like the the Buddha brought fractal where. Uh, where you have this great sort of inverted Mandelbrot fractal, and it's actually amazing because you know if you do it in processing and you have it, you have you know using Java, and you think, uh, and actually, so some of my background is in working on Ruby processing, which is which is doing processing through JRuby, um, and so comparing the JRuby version of a Budabrot fractal to the CoffeeScript and Canvas version, like the speed is just unreal. You can you can have you know these great mathematically intensive computations running in the browser and going so much and being comparable to the speed at which processing would do them, you know, in the JVM. So yeah, so I've been playing a lot with that. And then also been using it a little bit on the server side for, um, for some Node.js applications. I've been using it with Express, um, which has been a lot of fun too, because it makes Express really fun to work with. And, uh, and then also just raw Node.js. We have a, a piece of document cloud, which is a pixel tracker, um, because people embed the documents that they upload on the different websites. So you'll have the Chicago Tribune. Basically. Right now, the Chicago Tribune is a bunch of great documents um, regarding the Blagojevich trial. And I think they've got hundreds and hundreds of them in there. And, uh, and so we have a little pixel tracker so that we can keep track of, of the remote URL that people are embedding these documents at. And we can start sending traffic to them when we have a public search. And that's written in Node.js and CoffeeScript. And, uh, yep, it's about 100 lines. It's pretty short. Okay, so with uh, Node.js, um, I noticed that it's actually one of the requirements for CoffeeScript, and the compiler actually runs on top of CoffeeScript, uh, Node.js, rather. Yep, that's correct. So, so the so CoffeeScript is written in CoffeeScript itself. Um, when it started out, it was a Ruby program um, because I didn't have we didn't have anything to write it with. Um, so I actually started with Ruby and with Rack. Um, and then it built and built, and eventually it became, you know, a viable language that had um, that worked, you know, in the browser and uh, and worked in Node.js. And then there was a big, I think, it was around zero point three point zero, but a really sort of big switch. So I rewrote, I basically ported the entire Ruby um, compiler over to CoffeeScript itself, and then I ran it on itself, and then I ran that parser on itself, and then we had a completely um, bootstrapped. Um, compiler that basically so now it compiles itself and the source code is written in CoffeeScript. Um, and so yeah, so we I played around a little bit with doing it on Narwhal and Rhino as opposed to Node, but then just the speed of Node in terms of me for because because compiling can take a little while to generate the parser. Um, the speed of Node has been great, and so now the the basic the server side version of it 
that you would install into user local bin and you would use from the command line um, is based on Node. But the compiler also runs in the browser too, so the JavaScript is pretty Node agnostic at the core. You can run it in Firefox or Internet Explorer or whatever. So more than just Node, it also has a dependency, or I guess a, it, it can be aided in the install process with a Node Package Manager. Have we found a, our default package manager for Node now? As NPM? Yeah, I think NPM is, is one battle at this point. Well, uh, development of TJ Holloway Chuck's uh, Kiwi package manager seems to have halted now, so NPM seems to be the default. So why the the, um, the dependency on uh, Node from a uh, a parsing standpoint? Are you? Uh... It's just it's just a JavaScript runtime. So because because it also does run in the browser, and people have gotten it to run on Rhino. Also, it doesn't really matter where you run it. It's just our default our default runtime. But you can take so there's a there's a compiled there's a if you go into the extras slash coffeescript.js directory, that's a compressed, minified, compiled version of the entire compiler, and you can drop that onto a web page. You can load that into Rhino, and uh, and work with that. Although from, from, you do have some hooks to use coffee directly in the server. Um, some hooks? You mean the node the node hooks? Yeah, you could use coffee. Uh, you've got some examples on the website of using coffee as your CoffeeScript in Node, right? On the server yeah. side. That was right. So that was that was a special hook that was actually that was added to Node, I think, by uh, by Tim Smart. Um, so that if you have a different file extension that's not JS, Node can run a preprocessor like CoffeeScript on it and then run it directly. I still don't because of the debugging reason that we talked about before. I still don't recommend running it directly because effectively what you're doing is you're reading in a file and then you're generating JavaScript in memory and then you're calling eval to run it, which will work fine. But as soon as you have to debug that, you're debugging a huge eval, and that's not very fun. So I still recommend compiling it to JavaScript before you actually launch Node um, in both cases, for both the server and for, and for, and for Node work. But it's certainly possible. Let's it's talk about compilation nice. for a second because you've mm-hmm. got several different options. Um, I guess the default that I'm using is just a Coffee Watch uh, command line interface, but there's also a lot of community-contributed uh, scripts for Rack and for uh, Rails plugins and others. Yeah, there's a great resources section on... So coffeescript.org is the webpage, and there's a resources section down at the bottom with a whole bunch of different syntax highlighters and integration into different into different Rails and Rack. And I think there might be a Python one, too, um, ways to, to compile it and to preprocess it if you have it as part of a website. So those just make it more convenient. Um, but the basic... You can also use the basic coffee command pretty easily because it can watch... If you do coffee, watch, and then a directory and give it an output directory. It will compile every CoffeeScript file it's found you know, recursively in the directory anytime it changes using Node's great watch file support, which works, um, uses you know, the file system to do really good watching of files for when they change. It'll compile that over into the parallel directory structure in JavaScript. So that makes it pretty easy to, to have it running in the background in development and not have to worry about it. When you refresh your page, you'll get your new code. Yeah, that's exactly how I'm using it in a, in a titanium, accelerated titanium mobile application right now. It's written in JavaScript and just watching that folder and it spits out uh, the whole tree into the output folder. Uh, as far as you know, the, the debugging in stack trace, titanium currently doesn't support that in JavaScript anyway. But So one of the, the pluses that I get from CoffeeScript um, is that nice JS lint uh, evaluated script you know there's no more warnings in the titanium compiler telling me that I missed a semicolon or something right yeah i guess the titanium compiler is very strict about the javascript that it accepts i've heard um because i don't even know how it works when does, does it turn it into objective c or do you know how that's how it, that does. Works? It, it creates uh 
native objects uh, on the fly, but it goes through, even at runtime, it goes through, it uses WebKit to uh, interpret the JavaScript, and then they have these proxy objects that proxy between the JavaScript and the, and the Cocoa objects, so you, it creates Cocoa objects at runtime. Great. So I guess you're actually using JavaScript core as an interpreter um, inside of the app. Right. I'm not sure if it's um, the vanilla WebKit JavaScript interpreter or if they've forked that as well. That's cool stuff. So it's a nice fit until they uh, introduce a, a debugger for the JavaScript, and this is like all upside, no downside. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so also on the debugging, you mentioned before that you're, if you're used, using it in the browser and there's an example on the website, or there has been an example I've seen where you've used a uh, text slash coffee script uh, script tag. Uh-huh. When you're using one of those, uh, rather... When you use a script tag with uh, text slash copy script as the content type, do you get the, any enhanced debugging in the browser? For instance, uh, TJ Holloway Chuck's recent templating engine, Jade, uh, when you're using it in the browser, it'll actually give you a complete stack trace of where the error occurred in your template. Um, Is there anything like that that you can do in CoffeeScript or... So, so again, it's not it's not a completely static language like HTML is. So, yes, you can you could if you if you do it in the browser, um, and if you use the if you go to coffeescript.org and you do the try coffeescript um, page, then yes, you will absolutely get the syntax error. It'll tell you what line it occurred on, and it'll show you what went wrong, which is basically just a feature that our parser generator, which is we use uh, JSON, which is a uh, I'm sorry. Which is a uh, which is a great parser generator for JavaScript. So yes, if you have a syntax error in your code, you will get you will, that'll be pointed out to you. But because it's not a static language, you're actually running the code. Then you have your real problem, which is not a syntax error. Your real problem is you have a bug in your code, and then you're basically doing an eval, and that's the difficult part. So the syntax errors aren't, aren't so much the issue for running it directly in the browser, but but um, calling an eval on code instead of loading it as a regular JavaScript is which is why it's recommended to compile it to JavaScript first, and then you don't have this problem um, at all. But if you're just doing some fun scripting around and you're not too worried about you know, having to debug a major application, then the text slash CoffeeScript thing is pretty fun. And so that's what CoffeeScript.org uses actually to, to hook into jQuery and to set up the try CoffeeScript box. That's all done with a little text CoffeeScript tag down at the bottom. And I think the best example of it is this website, um, the Lincolnshire TheLincolnshirePoacher.com by Chris Lloyd, which has a whole bunch of Raphael sketches that are written in CoffeeScript down at the bottom of the page. And you can click on the little refresh button to redraw the Raphael sketches. And so those are, those are a good example of, of a nice place to use it. Okay, so a quick question on uh, a couple of your other projects. You've also written uh, Underscore.js and uh, Docker. Mm-hmm. Uh, with Underscore.js... Was that actually originally written in CoffeeScript, or was it written originally in JavaScript? So that was written in JavaScript first. That's from the fall, actually. So that that's from when I first started the Document Cloud project, and it's an so 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 at Document Cloud, everything that we do has to be released open source. It's funded by the Knight Foundation. The idea is that is that we both make this service, and also every single bit of code that we write will be made open source sooner or later. So it was extracted directly from uh, the application there, and it was basically just a collection of all the little functional helpers that you might want to use when you're writing JavaScript and trying to do sophisticated stuff on the client side, being able to select and filter and reduce a lot of things that are now in ECMAScript 5 that underscore uses if they're available. Um, So that was not written in CoffeeScript first. And 
but it was kind of a test, you know, to, I think that was the, the so besides having the compiler of CoffeeScript itself be written in CoffeeScript, un, doing the underscore port was kind of a test of, all right, I've got this real world library. I've got a bunch of performance benchmarks so I can know if it slows down. I, I know, I know I've got, I've got a big test suite so I can make sure that it behaves correctly. And is it possible to write it in CoffeeScript and have it work? And so the answer was, yes, it is possible. And, uh, and we've got that as one of the examples in the CoffeeScript checkout. And also that it's actually a little bit faster than the JavaScript version because of things like comprehensions, where in JavaScript you would have had to write out you know, the for loops by hand every time instead of using an each or a for each. But um, you don't have to worry about that as much in CoffeeScript because it will generate the efficient for loops for you where possible. So it ended up beating the original underscore and a couple of uh, little benchmarks by a bit. Speaking of those for loops real quick, the uh, one that we didn't talk about was the for of that I fell in love with. The, the for of. Right. The, yeah. The, you add, uh, basically, we'll give you the, the key back and um, uh, evaluate the object on the fly. Similar to what Ruby does, where you can do multiple keys into the, to a loop. Right. So, so the comprehensions in CoffeeScript, you have, I guess you have sort of three basic types. You, have, you can comprehend over an array or over an object or over a range. So the range is the simple one. The range is basically a for loop with a, with a fixed start and end, you know, from 1 up to 10, do this. Um, so you say, you know, for i in range, and you give it a start and end point. Um, and, and then you have the array comprehensions where you can say for um, value, comma, index in array. And then you also have object comprehensions where you can say for key, comma, value of object. And we actually just added a new one, um, a new variant of it, where you can say um, for all key comma value of object, which will, which will. So the difference between there is is a subtle JavaScript thing, where usually a for in in JavaScript will look up the entire prototype chain, and if you've added methods like say prototype JS does to the array prototype, you're going to get um, m- methods that you don't care about that you're not interested in. So by default, CoffeeScript is safe and only looks in and uses a has-own property check to only look in the closest object. Um, but if you want to speed that up a little bit, you can say for all key comma value of object, and then that'll give you everything with a with a vanilla um, JavaScript for in with no special checks. And so this gives you a unified interface, these three different kinds of comprehensions, because you can use all of them are expressions. You can use them directly. You know, you can't usually just return a for loop and have that mean anything, but if you return a comprehension, that'll give you back um, all the values, the, the computed results of all of the values being passed through the, the block of code that you've given, and they all work um, in identical ways with that. So, Well, this is the part of the interview where we turn it upside down. The folks that we speak to are usually who's on our open source radar, so we get to turn it right back at you and ask what kind of projects are on your open source radar. I'm, I'm getting pretty excited about it. So I think when we talked in the fall, um, you asked me the same question, you know, and I talked about Node.js, and, and you said that, uh, you know, everyone's been saying that recently, and I think that's, that's still definitely the case and still going strong and has a whole lot of steam and a whole bunch of great patches that, uh, that come out constantly and, uh, and you have to keep up with. Um, and I'm still waiting for the first sort of end-to-end you know, or at least the first the first person who glues it together end to end, where you actually have you know rich models in the browser with a good standard library of of common functions that then you know that then works seamlessly with the server side end. You know, maybe it integrates comments, so you get live updates across you know all of your models because this is something that any client side app that that does a lot of work in the browser ends up doing. So in our case, um, we're dealing with with journalists in the newsroom working with documents and writing stories and annotating the documents. 
and you can share those between different newsrooms. You could have someone, you know, in Chicago and someone in Miami working on the same project and annotating the same document. And now you have to, you know, what you want to do is you want to be able to live update the changes back and forth when someone, you know, kind of like a Google Wave style or an Etherpad style um, thing where as soon as someone starts, finishes typing annotation, it appears instantly and, and you can really work together and collaborate in that way. And that's something that JavaScript is a great um, language for enabling instead of like a rich Flash app. And that's something that is very complicated right now because you have to use Comet and you have to, you know, it's very, very difficult to get the changes pushed across correctly in a performant way. And so Node provides the performance that's needed for doing that well. And WebSockets coming of age are going to provide um, the Comet replacement that's a little bit um, nicer to work with. And I think that someone's going to come out with an end-to-end solution, you know, that, that knows how to talk to databases in the background for persisting data, that has good ways of routing URLs to actions in the server, that has client-side models that can be shared with the server and can do validations on both end and can transparently sync changes. So all you have to worry about is basically your client-side app, and you can call save in the browser, and it'll safely save it to the server with validations um, and has that all hooked together. And I think that'll be that's, – that's what I'm waiting for. That's, that's what I'm hoping to see in the next year. That's quite the dream. Who'd have thought that five years ago, you know, and going into the next decade, we'd be so excited about JavaScript? Yeah, who would have thunk? <laughs> so where can folks catch up with you online? The CoffeeScript Twitter handle, is that you or a fan? That's actually not me. That's, a, that's an unofficial one. Um, but he answers questions pretty good too, so you can ask him. But um, if you want to – so right now, CoffeeScript, if you have an idea um, for an enhancement or a question or an issue, you should use the GitHub Issues page. And if you want to just chat about it, come into the CoffeeScript room, all one word, CoffeeScript on Freenode. That's the IRC room, and there's usually someone who can answer your question there. Cool. Thanks for joining us today, Jeremy. All right. Thanks a lot. It's been fun.